ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iconicast. Um, my name is Tyler, this is Kendall, and you're with us at Southeastern Louisiana University in a DVIC. Um, today's guest um, is a faculty member with the Department of Language and Culture. Um, she teaches Spanish and mythology here. I know I had it for Spanish one or two a while back. Um, but uh, today, we're not going to talk too much about that something. We're going to talk about the publication she had. Um, this is the copy from Sims Library. It's called Maya Medicine, um, Traditional Healing in the Yucatan. Um, beyond just being a very interesting topic, uh, it's remarkable. We had an ethnography class last semester here in the department. But to see this guest is um, her use of text, of compiling information, um, of creating tables and graphs for it, and sketching. Um, it's just seems like a lot of hats to wear, and we enjoyed seeing all those hats. But without further ado, we want to welcome Dr. Mariana Kuna. How are you doing? Hi, thank you for the great introduction. Well, <laughs> it's just saying the facts, you know, mm -hmm. nothing special. But uh, we'll start yeah. with Kendall, yeah? Yeah, so to get started today, uh, we want to ask, what drew you into studying modern Maya people and their culture? Um, accident or serendipity, depending on <laughs> how you think about it. Um, I had gotten to be a diver, and I wanted to go there. First, I had gone snorkeling there a bunch, and it was really fantastic. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to learn how to be a diver, and I'm going to go back there. So I went back, and met somebody mm -hmm. who was so knowledgeable and you know was just amazing and walking around and he was the uh, guardian of a post-classic site mm -hmm. on the coast and so he's giving a little tour you know of the ruins which weren't really spectacular just kind of small but mm -hmm. you know he would be saying these things like oh see this tree you can take these berries and you can wash your hair with this, and you can do this, and you can do that. And I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, this is so cool. What yeah. is that? You know, and he just kept on going. You know, we would walk, and he would say, oh, did you know that you can eat this? And did you know that you... And I was like, no, I don't know any of this, but I really want to know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, if I come back, are you going to be able to teach me more about this? And he said, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, well, that is awesome uh, how you got, because as we were reading the book, obviously, we were wondering what pulled you into this. Um, so the next question that we do want to ask is, obviously, there is this sort of misconception that a lot of people have about the Maya people and their culture, specifically that they disappeared oh. and that they're, yes, and that they are no longer around and they have been eradicated from history. Some of the more <laughs> crazy ones are have to do with aliens, of course. Um, oh, that's who built the ruins, right? <laughs> yes, of course, of course, always aliens. Um, so we let's do have not a give real that. people credit for doing something. <laughs> of course not. No, aliens are more fun to think about, right? <laughs> but um, we do want to ask if you happen to know, like, how this idea came about, and what are your thoughts on this idea that they are gone? Mm. Well, I think it's partly, you know, the great business of oh well the maya collapse there mm -hmm. has to be one cause and then this was the effect right but it didn't happen like that and i think it's kind of an outmoded theory where people are learning more about individual mayan sites and learning mm -hmm. that people may have stopped making uh, full-on hieroglyphic texts or mm -hmm. building in a given place but they just moved somewhere else 
And mm. if you talk to modern Mayan people today, mm -hmm. they would be surprised to know that they don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. oh. And I also think yeah. it's a racist thing where mm -hmm. it took until, oh, let's see, Stevens and Catherwood would have been the 1800s where they proposed this radical idea that the indigenous people that were living in Yucatan were actually responsible. They were the descendants of the people that built the classic monuments. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's almost common knowledge, you mm -hmm. would think. And they were like, well, you know, these peasants couldn't possibly have achieved this. So it's really a racist story, too. Right. Yeah. One that we unfortunately do see in a lot of other areas as well. Yeah. yeah. We just wanted to hear your insight on that because obviously some of our viewers may not know that to begin with. Yeah. The yeah. world was supposed to end like eight years or nine years ago, oh, right? Oh, right. Yeah. the Maya, yeah. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> They're just a pop culture. But no, that, that's a misconception, too, because mm -hmm. everything with the Maya calendar is cyclical. Right. And so the big cycle completed itself, and that's true, but everything is a big circle. So, like, when one cycle is over, it just clicks over and starts another one. Mm -hmm. mm. It doesn't yeah. just blow up yeah. <laughs> yeah, right right Doesn't it rolls over yeah right of course <laughs> nice yeah i do remember reading a little bit about that around 2012 and everyone going it's okay you just don't know all the facts <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh next question is um where is piste um like in relation to the yucatan um, and can you also share with your, with our viewers why you chose to study in Piste? <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Piste is plunk in the middle of the peninsula. Okay. And it's right near the ruins of Chichen Itza. Mm -hmm. Basically, it, the town exists to, well, it initially supplied laborers who were working on uh, excavation at the, at the site. And then... It kind of has kept on going as a place where tourists go to buy ice or beer or have a meal or mm. stay overnight mm -hmm. if they aren't staying, you know, right at the ruins proper. So it's the, um, I won't call it bread basket, it's the corn basket. <laughs> There's a lot of corn there. A mm. lot of stuff uh, grows around Peace Day. And I wouldn't have picked it, mm -hmm. but again, uh, I had met this wonderful person and... I did go back to the coast, but that was just where he worked, and his home village was Piste. Mm. So I went back, and he taught me more, and then he said, well, look, you know, if you really want to know more about this, older people know more than me, so why don't you come to my village and talk to my father-in-law? Mm. And so I did, and that's the Piste story. Yeah. yeah. And I've been going back since. <laughs> nice. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for those listeners, um, it, this takes place in Piste, and the code name, because she does change names, that's Don Tomas, right? That first interaction, mm -hmm. right? So that brings, there's a little bit specifically in her introduction where you describe, uh, or I say your introduction, you talk a bit about like the theory of ethnography, the way that you're kind of fighting between being just a person and then being the observer, you know? So... Me and Kendall found out you were talking about how you didn't want to just reduce these people you spoke to as just characters, characters, you know. So what was it like navigating, writing about these living Maya people and their traditional practices as, as an outsider? Well, I think I just really got lucky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was adopted as a family member 
And, you know, so I met, I went back to the village and I met the patriarch and started to work with him. And his wife really took me in under her wing. And when I was in their house, I didn't feel like an outsider. And I know in terms of anthropology, good anthropologists practice participant observation. So I think I failed at that. <laughs> I was a dismal failure, but then I'm not a very theoretical person mm-hmm. anyway. Right, right. And I tend to be more applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so. that was evident in the when you're talking at your introduction, and there's always a little bit of a reluctance from you to tell what you do not have permission to tell. You're trying to balance that relationship, which Kendall and I said that what we learned in ethnography some people go undercover and they never tell their observers that their observers, hmm. or those who are being observed, that they're being observed. That seems mm-hmm. a little dishonest. It does, mm-hmm. right? There's a human quality there that's being neglected. Lacking. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I uh, couldn't do that. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah saying, of course. But that co- that conflict is uh, is you're letting that conflict known that you're not going to do that for the sake of the information because, and that's why. There's that barrier first there for you, but the cultural divides that you felt, language barrier, they speak Spanish, but some of them speak a more, we'll say, primitive language or order. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, not primitive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But no, some of the people that I have gotten to know their first language is Yucatec Mayan. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, the person that I, who tried to teach me the language had been, purely monolingual Yucatec speaker until he was like 20 or 21. Oh, wow. And then Mm -hmm. he learned Spanish. And so we communicated mostly in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you you say that, did you ever feel unwelcome? Um, remember going to one household mm-hmm. with a family member, and they just kind of looked at me like, what are you doing here? Mm. Was that household one of the, so we were talking about there's a separation. Mm-hmm. Those who are, use their curing for financial gain and fame, and those, these other cures who just do it as a, like a way of, of life. Was that household, those who did it like a way of life, or one of those kind of no it was just a you know relative somebody that i knew Mm. okay yeah but really this has been the most welcoming culture i have never felt more Mm -hmm. it's miraculous really if you think of 500 years of colonial experience and oppression that anyone would be friendly to someone from the united states Mm-hmm. is kind of amazing. Certainly. Right, of course. But people really pride themselves on their hospitality there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does show through in some of the sections in the book where you do talk about how they walked you through and how they were <laughs> willing to share everything with you, which is really miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so obviously you did just mention that they do speak the Maya language. Um How important is the Maya language to the cure? And do you think the language tradition is in some ways married um so like without the language the curing traditions would be diminished in some form yeah i think that's right um one older well the man and uh, wife pair don Mm -hmm. concepcion and doña concepcion that i mentioned briefly in there 
they were willing to work with me because I came with Don Tomas. They ca I came mm -hmm. with someone from within the culture. But I remember him saying to me, your connection to the supernaturals would be stronger if you knew the language better. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm still working on that. I'm kind of yeah. still in kindergarten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. and all these years later, I'm struggling. It mm. is a hard language. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was also told, mm -hmm. in no uncertain terms, well, you know, these other friends of ours that came here, they were here for six months, and they learned the language perfectly. Oh. So it's like, like you are a bad student. <laughs> we love Aww. you, but, you know, you're really not doing as well as these other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that barrier, mm -hmm. um, not the barrier, we already talked about the barrier, but the language, um, we did also see that they're incorporating different religions, like a kind of like a hybridity of languages. That's a word I'm really into right now <laughs> across culture. But do you think that, let's say, as if the cure begins to evolve and progress through time and they get more distant from the Mayan language, it will lose some of its roots? Can, it, can some of this transcend the culture of language, do you think? I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I mean, different people, uh, if you're talking about the people who would identify them, and, and again, they wouldn't necessarily want to identify themselves as being priests either, mm -hmm. right. but the people that have some kind of spiritual connection with, say, supernatural beings, you know, do they pray to them in Yucatec Mayan, or do they do it in Spanish? Right. I mean, it's mm -hmm. very individual. Right. Yeah. Which the whole curing... Mm -hmm. curing is individual it seems like there is mm -hmm. a tradition mm -hmm. but it's curated by the cure completely yeah. right um well on that spiritual uh on that spiritual stream right there one thing that we found stirring was the dreams oh mm -hmm. yeah um yeah. and uh can you explain for the viewers about the dreams i what we're saying, what, what is so stirring about it? Well, um, I was interested in the process of curing and how people would become cures. And one of the main ways that they did so was by means of dreams. So some people said, oh, yeah, my uncle taught me hmm. mm -hmm. or my mother-in-law told me everything I know. And other people said, no, I would dream every night. And this little person came to me, usually a little old man, wearing traditional, super traditional old-fashioned clothing. He would come and he would teach me. For years. <laughs> for years. For years. Yeah. For years. Yes. Right. Uh, and that was actually a thing that I had a – and I always have been fascinated by dreams. And mm -hmm. a couple of times I had dreams that were, you know, kind of related to curing, and that was something we talked about. And they were like, okay, this is a sign that you're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. Well, that when we read it, that Jungian archetype, that dream interpretation, that's – seems like it – it's right out of Fits. his yeah it's right mm -hmm. right out of his book um to not not dismiss the spiritual value of it where do you see those dreams lying do you see them as some some other bridging i don't even know how to say it but there's something there that ties to the jungian factor or value of dreams as well do you uh well people are more like each other than unlike each other. Mm -hmm. There you go. And these people with dreams, just to clarify, some of them had hadn't met each other, correct? Or they had. 
do you think that these dreams are something that is shared? You should seek these dreams, or these dreams are just... No, I think they seek you. There you go. Wow. <laughs> that's what was so stirring about the dreams, is because yeah. that's what's implied in the book, and it's like, mm-hmm. wow. Well, and that you would be selected, you know, yeah. to mm-hmm. be a cure. You wouldn't necessarily choose it. Right. It's not inherited by mm-hmm. your relationship. Well, but it is kind of. Some people say, well, you know, my uncle was a cure, my grandfather was a cure, mm-hmm. and, and I walked around in the woods and I learned from them. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed like there were two paths and sometimes they crossed. Mm-hmm. So that actually does bring me to my next question because you did bring up the two different ways of learning, either through inheritance and learning through familiar familial members or through the series of dreams is there one that is like more respected or revered among the maya Mm. well you could think of it that making that spiritual connection and having finding your own crystals by which you communicate with those supernaturals Mm -hmm. puts you into that sort of top of the hierarchy But there's certainly people who are, you know, plant medicine people that are highly respected. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, that was just something that we were thinking about as we were reading. Because obviously there are these notions that if you're taught by someone who is experienced, you know, you get that experience yourself. And you'll have all of years and years maybe more uh, of learning versus the other method, which is through dreams. You are chosen uh, by fate or by the spirits, uh, what have you. And so, you know, there is that little bit of difference where we were wondering. Well, I think it's almost like a validation, you know, that Mm -hmm. if you encounter these crystals, well, then that's like the mark that you've kind of Mm -hmm. made it to the top. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So to take a step back, because we do want to ask about those crystals in a little Mm -hmm. bit, because those are... Probably only second to the dreams to us because the dreams yeah. <laughs> are an abstraction almost, and these crystals are real things that they hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the milpa. Um, can you? I know we talked about it a little bit before the audience joined us, but can you explain to the audience what the milpa is to these people and how significant it is to the cure tradition? Well, um, the milpa is a cornfield, but they're not monocrop farmers. Mayan people um, put everything together. So like you would plant corn plants, but there would be bean seeds and they would grow up around the corn stalks and support them, be supported by them. Mm-hmm. And it actually is a better way you know, for the earth that you grow things together and you're not just like depleting it with some nitrogen eating crop like mm-hmm. corn. Um, right. A lot of the land is a Hedo land, which is community land. So it is uh, people in that town, each person has a certain amount of land that they're allowed to farm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, less and less of that is used anymore because people are starting to move away from their connection to the land, a lot of them, and, you know, moving to Cancun, getting a job Mm -hmm. as a waiter, and, you know, working a service job in town or whatever. Uh, So I think that tie to the land is super important to anything that's to do with plant medicine, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. and this sort of really traditional connection between community and land. 
unfortunately. Yeah, well, you answered about the next two questions with mm -hmm. that. Oh? Yeah, which, yeah. no, because the milpa, this is an agrarian tradition. The cure even appears to be tied to that agrarian. Completely. Completely, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, I'll bring this word up again. Sorry, everybody. Hybridity. Um, we saw it in what you call Don Aldo, his mixture <laughs> of allopathic mm -hmm. and cure means of uh, medicine. Allopathic is pharmaceutical. Western medicine. Western medicine, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but he's, he's fine with finding a way to use both even complementary or supplementary. Which I think is great. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were just talking about the milpa, though, is it in some ways manifest that with the way that they plant their crops? You were just saying that, that there's like. Well, yeah, and I think there are a lot of rituals that are done on behalf of a community as opposed to an individual. And some of that stuff's just going away, yeah. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's It's progress yeah it's progress Maybe. which preserving but accepting progress it's but then again I also think that uh, the people that I know are actually sort of past masters of taking what they want from some outside source and blending it with their own traditions and staying with what they have mm -hmm. yeah right and I guess if you had someone come in 500 years ago and say my way is the right way mm-hmm and you wanted to hang on to what you had, then you got an early, well, not even an early, but you definitely got a lesson in how to synchronize, or what mm -hmm. is the right word? Is synchronicity the right word? Or that might be the right word. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, but certainly in terms of their religion and their culture and their mm -hmm. language and everything else, it's been a blend. Right. Yeah, I do see you mention that quite often throughout And the certainly, book. you know, you can be talking to somebody out in the woods and they'll say, oh, no, you know, you need to go get antibiotics for that. You need to go get an aspirin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is good because it's inclusive. Right. Exactly. I think the blend is good in some way because it does help preserve, um, you know, some of those older traditions while still getting them the more... Uh, progressive quote-unquote um, things yeah, and you think medicine yeah. it's not supposed to be cultural medicine is supposed to heal right oh. it's supposed to do you think like if you <laughs> you don't want to just use something medicinal out of tradition you want to use it because it's effective you, you know it's, it's but supposed traditional to medicine is effective oh certainly mm -hmm. no no i'm just saying you shouldn't <laughs> be married to a traditional medicine simply because it is traditional unless no. it is effective I might be overstepping there, but that's why I'm saying that the synchronicity may be required because of the deficiency of both, of both what is allopathic and traditional. But Correct? young people don't think that the old stuff is good. Mm -hmm. Right. And here, you know, we've come full circle because in our culture, mm -hmm. we're like all about investigating anything that's herbal medicine right. and whatever. Yeah. And down there, it's just so uncool. It's just not anything anyone wants. And Young people are not particularly mm -hmm. interested in learning the traditions, and mm -hmm. they're like, I want pill medicine. I don't want that. You know, right. They don't believe that it is effective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that actually starts to answer one of the questions we had for later, but, I mean, it's on topic now. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so you did obviously bring up how in America at the moment we are kind of going back to these um, – 
sort of alternative forms of medicine and investigating them, as you mentioned. Um, so you don't really see that happening in the Yucatan as much. They're still very much, they want the aspirin, they want the tablet. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, mm -hmm. I also think that the Mexican government has got kind of an interest in trying to look for that middle path. Mm -hmm. That they mm -hmm. actually help fund a medicinal plant garden not too far, a village not too far away from Peace Day fairly recently. Oh, wow. Yeah, And that's that they great. have had a program where they're working with midwives mm -hmm. and trying to give them some Western techniques, mm -hmm. but not discouraging the old yeah. stuff either. Oh, that is very good. Because, so that's good. Yeah, I know in the book you were talking a little bit about your worries about that, but... Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, yeah. In the meantime, you did bring up midwives, so that brings me to one of the other questions we had, which is, in the book, obviously, you mentioned the various different types of cures. Uh, I know you already told me how to pronounce this, but chmin, midwives, shmin, <laughs> um, all of these different forms of uh, healers, basically. Um, so could you just very briefly explain those differences to our viewers who maybe haven't read your book? Well, let's see. Um, there are the people who have a specialty, like they're bone setters or mm -hmm. they're midwives, uh, mm -hmm. or they do massage, which is really kind of um, divided in terms of gender. Mm -hmm. You have people that know about plants and plant medicine, and then you have the men, which is the male version mm -hmm. of a priest, and the female variant is with an X in front, so that's how you get Schmen. Mm -hmm. And some people say that, well, only my and only men can be priests and women cannot. But I've heard so many contradictory things about this and I think that's changing too. Oh really? That oh mm -hmm. only men can work with crystals. Only mm -hmm. men can be priests. Well, I'm not sure that's at all true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there there are examples where that isn't true? I've heard examples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, are those people for real? Are they charlatans? Is it real? Oh, who knows? I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that I just actually, need another mm -hmm. hundred years of life to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So much to investigate, so little time. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that actually does flow nicely into the next question, though, which is um, talking about the disparity between men and women practitioners. Um, do you have any reason for like why there is this notion that only men can have the crystals and only men can be the curers in some aspect? Well, I mean, it's always been that, you know, the woman stays home mm -hmm. and the man takes care of the milfa. Right. And, you know, the dividing line has been that. In fact, the word for wife is like watan. It's like, you, you know, your face, your face mm -hmm. to the town, your <laughs> it's just a division that's been there for forever and it's changing mm -hmm. but I don't think it's doing it quickly yeah uh, yeah well the milpa going back I remember you said stories of the milpa how that was important from when they walked to the milpa and they walked back home from the milpa when they mm -hmm. conversed to each other that handing over of stories and ideas that's where the and knowledge and knowledge mm -hmm. And right. little boys go with their fathers and brothers and uncles out to the milpa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And girls do not do that. Girls stay home. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Girls make tortillas. Oh. <laughs> which right. Which is mm -hmm. very time consuming. Mm -hmm. I mean, traditionally, you know, 
women make the tortillas. So, I mean, they will get up and make tortillas and have it ready for breakfast. And that's, you know, they send tortillas out to the milpa with the mm -hmm. males that are doing that work. And, oh, it's so time-consuming. Right. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And women embroider and women cook and women take care of children and mm. men go to the milpa. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which made me a very weird person. Right. Right. You were a lady mm -hmm. going to the milpa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was a weird person anyway to them. <laughs> I mean, you know, they would want me to, for example, I would say, I want to go and get a Coke. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this has changed. But at that point, it was like, okay, you have to take the children with you because, you know, women shouldn't go like walk down to the corner store and buy a Coke. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but wait, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a woman from a completely different culture and I'm down here in your country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you want me to go by these rules. So, okay. Yeah. So I get stuck taking all the kids down to the corner store. To, oh, we want an ice cream. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know you have at least not seemed to be basically a hooker or something mm. walking around right. the street by yeah. yourself at night. Yeah. Wow. Like it that was could be super implied. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super conservative. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, with those roles, there was also a role, uh, a supernatural role disparity. Um, and I cannot remember who could be a sorcerer and a witch doctor and who could be a witch. And I know it has a little bit to do with the Sastoons as well, but that disparity is not just in social roles the supernatural have social roles too but it even appears to be in the so the, the the hierarchy of supernatural i don't even know how to state that but beyond saying that was it women could be witches oh yeah but mm -hmm. they could not be a sorcerer or they could not be a witch doc they couldn't be a priest supposedly okay. but that mm -hmm. could be changing okay right. i Mm -hmm. think that curing in general has two sides and it's sort of good and evil or dark and light mm -hmm. because people go to a cure when they're in trouble but they might view those people with distrust all the rest of the time yeah. mm -hmm. a cure is okay doing something good and helpful and healing but on the other hand that knowledge of plants could mean that they could do something bad to you, that they could be a witch, that they could throw mm -hmm. a spell, they could do something terrible. Mm -hmm. So it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and that's why it's hard for me to ex express it because in my, s in my life, supernatural persons don't have a social role that I acknowledge, <laughs> you know? Like, if a guy claims he's doing magic, then I, I'm like, what? But in this culture, in this society, well, you make a good point. There's not a distinction right. between empirical or spiritual. Mm -hmm. There's just not. For them, right? For them. Yeah, no. It's our categories. Yes. That's why <laughs> w w we read the parts. The disparity between men's roles and women's roles is across the board. And we say across the board as in there's there might be sections. But for them, there's no, like you were just saying, no, no division. There's not a division between sacred and profane. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And I mean, that is like something that has been very puzzling to me. Yeah. Right. Hmm. That would be, yeah. <laughs> that's another book for you, Dr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are so many topics you could expand multiple well, books. I have gotten a little bit lost in the last, 
I don't know, we'll call it a decade because mm-hmm. all that walking around and going to the MILPA and hearing stories, I started making notes about the stories. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing that a lot of those folk tales hadn't been written down, or if they were written down, they weren't written down in English. Mm-hmm. So that started me off on a completely terribly tangent path, but also fascinating uh, to realize that there's a body, a corpus of folk tales that everybody down there seems to know some version of, but they're not in English. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, wait, I can do that. You know, I can I can translate them. I thought arrogantly, you know, I can <laughs> do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, the, the stories of the Milpa made me think of like, you hear of pre-Civil War slave stories working in the field. Mm-hmm. That there's a story tradition from slaves being in the field, and it's like an agrarian. I, I don't want to claim universality to it, but there's something about being in the field and working. That I guess before podcasts and <laughs> iPhones and the the way that you occupy time was telling each other stories. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would look forward. How do we get funding for Dr. Kuno to go <laughs> compile those? Milpa stories. You oh know? my gosh, I've been doing it, and at first it was just mm-hmm. notes on the side of the plant notebooks, and yeah. then I s- and, and it would be like in Spanglish. I mean, terrible, unreadable yeah. to anyone else. Yeah. And then I thought, boy, these stories really deserve an English audience. They deserve for us English-speaking people to know them better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might be on volume two. I mean, it's it just keeps on going. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's terribly interesting to me. I, I know I would certainly love to read those. I mean, why on yeah. earth would there be a trope like the babysitting dog? The babysitting dog? Is that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Could you give us just a little bit of information on that? Oh just, my gosh, just a little tease? <laughs> well, you know, there's a sort of a slatternly wife, mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to take care of the baby, and she mistreats... Usually the husband has died, and the faithful mm-hmm. dog is there, and the wife says, okay, you got to take care of the baby. I'm going off to get water. And then the dog is kind of, you know, has supernatural stuff. He sits up, and he's, like, singing to the baby, and he's on his haunches. He's sitting up, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it, it's just so mm-hmm. crazy. And, I mean, I've collected about six different babysitting dog stories. Wow. And these are from different Different cures? places. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Different people. And then, mm-hmm. you know, even stuff in the library from the Capitol, you know, that's in a – a, a grammar book for grade school kids mm-hmm. and different towns will have their different version and has not crossed yeah. over to us anglophones no no yeah now you know some of the stories are better if you know have been common in english like you went to ushmal mm-hmm. so you know the story about mm-hmm. the dwarf of ushmal uh i remember seeing a little bit about it but the this dwarf was years is the ago. one that created that weird rounded pyramid ah uh, yes yes mm-hmm. yeah okay so i mean that's just all over and mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me that, like, it's such a consistent, it's really the same thing as the plant. It's a consistent body of knowledge Yeah. that we just don't know enough about, you know, yeah. we just not know. Yeah. Frontier of knowledge down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. not for them. Yeah. And not to be mm-hmm. conquered. I, I sh- shouldn't use the word frontier either, but to be investigated, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or to be given a little respect. Certainly. I mean, if you have people for 2,000 years and they're living in the same place, they know how to use every single resource that is available to them, and it Mm -hmm. is super sophisticated. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that amazed me, well, of the many things that amazed me, the consistency with which people have passed on oral knowledge 
of stuff that may have been written down and I compare in my book, I look at like some colonial documents and it's pretty consistent. Hmm. Like in the 1930s, Ralph Royce uh, did a plant catalog and he wrote about how informants, people told him how, oh, if a horse eats this certain plant, mm -hmm. it's okay, only the hairs of its tail are gonna fall out. I mean, that's pretty specific. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can go back and you can look at stuff from several hundred years ago and it's pretty consistent. Wow. I mean at least the plant mm -hmm. names and the general uses and you can't collect plants, you know, from 500 years ago. Right, of course. But, but you can't help wanting to kind of extrapolate it backwards and think, well, you know, this might have been consistent for a thousand years, but you can't prove it. Right. Yeah. That is extremely interesting, though, that they have been able to keep up these traditions for so long and work with these plants and pass down that knowledge, especially, as you said, it is all, like, orally uh, passed down or through dreams, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you have to recognize that the people were literate for a really long time before the Spanish ever showed up and darkened their shores. Yeah. So, I mean, they were literate, and then when the Spanish showed up, they took to our kind of alphabet and Spanish language like fish to water. I mean, they mm -hmm. learned it in short order and started writing down their traditions in the kind of language we have. I mean, mm -hmm. the kind of alphabet that we have. Right. Wow. With stories, um, evil wind, evil eye. Um, Culture bound. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what those are to the, to the audience? Well, uh, you <laughs> wouldn't find it in a physician's manual, you know, up here. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, people believe that, well, there's an evil eye thing that you hear about in the Middle East and in Europe, and evil eye is, I would say it comes from an imbalance. Like if somebody powerful, like an adult, looks at a baby or something, they could inadvertently do something bad to them. Evil eye is sort of, oh goodness, how do I explain it? Um, evil eye might be European or it might be also indigenous to the Americas. I don't know, you know, where yeah. it comes from. Evil winds are kind of personified beings. Mm -hmm. uh, evil eye is more like, I guess, a force. I'm not sure I'm giving you a very good answer. No, no, those, those no, were, yeah. they're hard to describe. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, do you know of any, especially in the South, do you know of any analogous kind of, yes, uh, anything cultural diseases? Cultural. Well, yeah. I mean, you know how you do things. Okay, people in the South, in New Orleans anyway, you know, they have a, a front porch and the mm -hmm. ceiling should be painted blue because it keeps away haints, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, evil eye is something you might do to protect yourself from some evil force. Mm -hmm. Right. And you might put plants around your doorway to keep a witch from coming in. Hmm. Or you could paint that blue up on the top of your ceiling of your yeah. porch. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's just fascinating, <laughs> y'all. The evil eye and evil wind, it's through us evil on Evil wind, oh yeah. my gosh. It's associated, uh, oh my gosh, how can I explain <laughs> this? Uh, <laughs> they're kind of personified. And it's all the winds are connected to the caves that mm -hmm. are connected to underground, which is connected to supernatural. So mm -hmm. they're really kind of beings. Yeah. 
but then it's also like a hurricane. You know, it's mm -hmm. a, it's actually a force. Right. And these evil eye, this evil eye or this evil wind can ha make someone physically ill. Oh, yes. And it is they like... They bring a specific kind of illness. That's the diagnosis for some of these cures is... Exactly. Evil eye, evil wind. Right. And like it can bring babies diarrhea or something. Mm -hmm. Right. That was the troubling thing. Some adults out there are giving babies evil eyes <laughs> the way they look but at they them. didn't even mean to they didn't exactly. mean to yeah is they it about the power imbalance exactly exactly yeah. mm. you know or, or somebody with a mark like a like a um, beauty mark or something between mm -hmm. their eyes could be seen as capable of giving evil eye mm -hmm. and i've got green eyes and that's kind of mm -hmm. bad too yeah, don't wow. look at babies dr kuno yeah, you know no, don't look <laughs> directly and yeah. i mean you can you can get evil winds from an imbalance of temperature yeah mm -hmm. like people mm -hmm. would always say oh you've been out in the fields you, you're, you're hot you know you shouldn't go take a shower you, you don't want to have those extremes of temperature that right. that could be a problem mm -hmm. too yeah so a lot of it is about balance of different sorts right. equilibrium being the preferred state Right. Yeah, I do remember you mentioning in the book how if you were um, diagnosed with a cold or a hot disease, you were given the opposite right. to temper yourself to try to reach that equilibrium, which is very interesting, obviously, because you are collecting specimens. Um, but I think you did mention that there was no like clear idea of what was hot or cold for this, like for the plants. It, how did they cold. determine what was hot or cold for plants, basically? I couldn't tell you. Oh. <laughs> Was it a little bit arbitrary or culturally uh, produced? Well, um, you know, cold plants are like the saba tree, things that grow near water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, oranges are hot. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows why? I, I, <laughs> and again, this could be a hybrid thing between a European or Middle Eastern tradition. There's also hot and cold dichotomy mm -hmm. there. So whether it's, uh, what is the right word? Synchronicity? Mm -hmm. that everybody thought of different versions of the same thing at different times in different parts of the world, mm -hmm. or whether it's truly a blended tradition. I couldn't tell you. There's a lot of scholarly argument about hot-cold. Uh, yeah. It was just very interesting to read about. Yeah. yeah, and we actually have a student submitting a question. This is Rhonda. Um, Rhonda has a few questions, but I'll just pick out one right now. Um, what is the role of faith in healing? Like, does the person who comes to the cure, is faith? Super important okay. mm -hmm. for both patient and uh, doctor. Mm -hmm. You have to believe, first of all, that it's going to work. And we know that that works in Western medicine as well. You have to think it's going to happen. And if you do, you're in the right frame of mind to mm -hmm. get better. Uh, it's very important for the cure. They have to go out there and, and, and be very intentional. And mm -hmm. each person has individual prayers, and they ask for guidance. And, you know, who they ask for guidance is another question that could go on forever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they will ask for guidance and, you know, which plant do I need? And then, you know, really even sometimes requesting of the plants, you know, um, you know let me use this, you know, to fix somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. 
I'll ask Rana's questions a little bit later. We'll disperse them. They're mm-hmm. really good questions. But okay. um, what's yeah. c- what do you have, Kendall? Do you yeah, have uh, I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about the Sassoon, uh, the Satsuns, because I found them to be extremely interesting, as Tyler mentioned, uh, just about as interesting as the dreams. Um, in particular, you mentioned that these people were led to the crystals by some sort of spiritual guide, basically. The the guide that would appear to them in their dreams if they were chosen that way. They were led to these crystals. But then you also mentioned at w- towards the very end, it was a very short note, that there was some sort of structural platform in one of the milpas, I believe, that you believed some of the stones were coming from. So can you just talk a little bit about what you hypothesize about the sastoons, uh, the crystals? The crystals. Well, mm-hmm. um, I was shown one person's personal crystals, mm-hmm. and some of them looked like you know a natural thing that you might find on the ground, and some of them looked like it was a cut, polished thing that could have come from a store. So mm-hmm. I don't really know. Um, there's, I, I really don't know, and I know that this tradition exists in Guatemala because mm-hmm. Rosita Arvigo has written a book called Sastone. Right. And she worked with this guy, Eligio Ponti, who was the curer, and he had his crystals. So I don't know mm-hmm. that much about it, but uh, I know the tradition exists for quite a ways going south of there, everywhere. I think where you have Maya people, you have this mm-hmm. idea of crystals. Yeah. And they're sort of a connection to mm-hmm. a class of supernaturals that I guess you would call the Balams, the mm-hmm. lords. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which are connected to the evil winds, right? They could be. Yeah. yeah. It could be a power imbalance. Yeah. Hmm. Like if you call down those supernaturals and there's, you know, you want to make it rain. And so you have a rainmaking ceremony. Uh, and then those people come and you do this whole ritual. Well, then it's like it's it's charged. The place where you conducted the ritual is, is charged. So it could be dangerous. Hmm. No, that sounds really weird. No, no, it's very interesting. Well, it's, it's, it's our trunk. Our culture, our society, trying to conceptualize the way that they, those individuals, and then as a community, perceive things. It's mm-hmm. There's a disparity between what we see and How what they see. Yeah, it. the way right. we think, the shapes, the paradigms, it's not the same. So mm-hmm. we just, uh, I mean, that's why we're talking to you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's why you study them, so we can yeah. try well, to empathize. It's just been a drop in the bucket. Right. <laughs> I mean, all of this and what was in the book, I, the plant catalog, I swear, it, it, it's just something different blooms every month pretty much mm-hmm. down there. And I've only got to collect plants in between semesters. So I've only collected plants in the summer or in the dead of winter. So it's just a fragment. Yeah, that's. Right. we were going to ask how difficult that was. And those drawings, sketches, those are hand drawings? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, at the back of the book, she details, I mean, and a drop in the bucket, it looked like a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> it's such a drop in the bucket. <laughs> right. I mean, I haven't even drawn all the plants in my own collection, and the collection itself wow. is such a, just a fragment wow. of what's yeah. there. How long does it take you to draw a specimen? Uh, it depends. I mean, I try and do... I mean, if I would be out in the field, I would try and make a quick sketch to remind myself mm-hmm. of what it looked like before it was a smashed specimen. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, later try and do a more elaborate sketch and mm-hmm. then end up with a pen and ink. Yeah. So you do drawing out there in the field? Used to, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, whenever you are uh well, also take photographs. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, photographs, photographs. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we have that. <laughs> that is good. That's true. I used Compared to have an actual to. camera. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, like the big, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a big Nikon. Yeah. Oh, that is very nice. With so. that, you also mm-hmm. tape record some of your conversations, yeah? I did just a few. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of, I don't even know, it's on some cassette that probably doesn't even work with anything anymore. But mm-hmm. I have, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a Mayan prayer that somebody made somewhere on an old cassette. A little miniature mm-hmm. cassette, even. You know, a little handheld, That's obsolete. Like, that sounds like a poem ready to be written. A Mayan prayer on a tape cassette. Obsolete <laughs> miniature tape. Yeah. That sounds beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, but, I mean, we've come so far in terms of technology mm-hmm. since this journey began. Of yeah. course, yeah. You would just need your phone. That's all right. you would need from now on, yeah. Except that I don't like taking, much as I love mm-hmm. the the my my phone takes really good pictures but it's not the same thing as having an actual camera where you mm-hmm. can bracket it between how much light and you can take a lighter one and in the middle one and a darker one mm-hmm. and then you can come home and spend a ton of money getting them developed remember mm-hmm. developing right film? yeah and <laughs> then you would discard almost everything mm-hmm. wow. so it's kind of cool to have a phone because you're not paying for developing and you just delete mm-hmm. it if it's no good but i don't think you have the fine-tuning that you do with a real old-fashioned camera. Of course. Um, Whenever you are collecting these specimen and drawing them, do you only present, like, the perfect specimen, or do you present them as you find them? Um, That's an argument that many botanical illustrators have as an ongoing thing. And I think you should present the things that still have, like, they have a hole in the leaf Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think you should (laughs) present the thing as you see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, For botanical illustration, you are supposed to ideally uh, provide a picture of something that is blooming or or fruiting so that you can identify it better, Mm -hmm. which Hmm. is challenging if you only get to go down there at specific times of the year. Right, of course. Yeah, we were just wondering about that. Um, Specifically, I actually have taken a class in the past with Dr. Hansen where we studied some art. And um, they were there were some arguments about how to depict nature. Do you present it as it is, or do you present the perfect ideal Idealized. version? Yeah. yeah. So I actually had that question because it does kind of fit into one of my classes I've taken, which is always fun whenever you can make that connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take some classes, guys. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a big debate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I guess I would side with imperfection. Mm-hmm. Well, on, you were saying that time of year. Uh, is the Yucatan your preferred location? I, I mean, all the states of Mexico down to Guatemala and Belize, the, all the Mayan cures traditions. Do you feel the Yucatan? Would you like to? Would you like to explore the Yucatan more, or further your investigation to other? Well, if you I had mean, all the time in the a world, few more <laughs> lifetimes. Yeah. a few yeah. more lifetimes, I'd be good. I mean, it would be interesting to know how far out. Like, in a radius, does this corpus of knowledge extend? Like, is it consistent the further you get from that place? But then the plants are going to be different the further you go. And one thing that I have had on my fantasy radar Mm -hmm. for some time is to go to Cuba because Mm -hmm. it's only 30 miles away by Mm -hmm. sea, so they would have the same plants, but it's a radically different culture. They're not Mayan at all, so I wonder if they use the same things. Hmm. Oh, and maybe you could root the Western, the Western influence more if there's similarities, maybe. But then there's more African influence. 
So mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, you'd have to yeah. try and puzzle all that out. I don't <laughs> <Right>. know. <laughs> a couple lifetimes, right? Just mm-hmm. a couple. Completely. Just a few. <laughs> a few more. Yeah. Yeah. Is it would there be wonderful to go to Cuba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah. would. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, earlier on, you mentioned that you have been back uh, since. Obviously, this was published in two thousand three. Um, have you had a lot of contact, though, specifically with the curators that you worked with? And in the book, you also predict that they will retain these traditional elements that contribute to their modern life. Do you see that happening? I hope so. <laughs> uh, yes, mm-hmm. I've been back. Unfortunately, uh, two of the people in the book have passed away. Oh. Mm-hmm. I do remember you mentioned they were in their like late 70s, I believe. So yeah. A few of them, yeah. So it's really tragic because those people, their knowledge is just not replaceable. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Are you seeing any young? You, I remember you saying there was a huge gap in age, like Don Tomas and Don Aldo were by four much younger. Mm-hmm. Have you met any young up-and-coming curators? No. no. Oh, no. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I mean, none of like the younger people in like these huge extended families, not a single person has been like mm-hmm. wanting to learn this. Do you think it ties back to the idea that this is like a rustic form that you mentioned in the book that some yes. people thought? Uh, mm-hmm. And I also think that that's why I maybe got so lucky as to start learning about it because there wasn't a better candidate. Mm-hmm. Right. A more normal candidate. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a nice young related person yeah as the curing tradition is going down is the maya language tradition also on oh terrible mm-hmm. younger people mm-hmm. in families don't speak it don't want to speak it mm-hmm. i mean they will i mean you can say okay what do you kn- do you know how to say this and they'll like all confer with each other and they won't know mm-hmm. and you know they can count up to 10 but after that you know not and yeah yeah. And, and the milpa, is the milpa still going on, or is it diminishing? <sighs> well, I mean, you know, it's 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 amazing. Like uh, Don Tomas, or the person I'm calling Don Tomas, mm-hmm. he is now retired, so he's not having to come home from his job on the weekend and do all the milpa work. Mm-hmm. He's still doing it, uh, but his son, you know, has moved off to the city. And, you know, it's better for them to be self-sufficient. You know, if they can grow their own corn and then mill it, they have less to buy. Mm-hmm. But everybody is getting to be more connected in the world, and that's good and bad. Right. Yeah. And people, young people are like, you know, I don't want to drink fruit juice. I want to drink Coca-Cola. You want to go to the store and buy some Coca-Cola. Right. Mm-hmm. There's Mexican this kind Coke. of global culture, you know. That <laughs> I was going to say, right. Mexican Coke is, is it's better. better. It, is, it, is. it tastes yes. much better. <laughs> it so it I also makes you diabetic, you know. <laughs> right. You, right. You drink it all the time. Yeah. You win some, you lose some. No, well, <laughs> they, if, well, that's, part of the goal of this book was to bring it over, at least part of the tradition or appreciation for it to us. So mm-hmm. maybe, um, It'll be carried on by somebody in the somebody. future. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody. <laughs> somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. But then, you know, maybe the circle goes around mm-hmm. and it becomes cool again. Yeah. And some young I mean, person decides to take up the, uh, yeah. the, what is the word, mantle? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's it. Well, hopefully we have seen that happen in American culture, so maybe it'll reach there as well. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you currently working on anything? Uh, I know you said you told us that you might be going back to Mexico in general this summer, but uh, I hope so. Hope so. <laughs> what would that be? And are you working on it? Are you? I hope we planted our interest in the stories of the Milpa. If you were, mm-hmm. oh yeah, <laughs> well that's an ongoing disaster at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to give a lecture at the. Merida is the capital of Yucatan, and right. they have the English language library, which is the home away from home for gringos who want <laughs> to who miss English. And I was supposed to give a lecture to them and share some translated stories. And I ended up doing a Zoom meeting with them in January instead of going myself, which was unsatisfying. Oh, right. And there are always more stories. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, maybe sometime soon can get mm-hmm. on a plane and go there yeah yeah well um that's all we have for you dr kuno mm-hmm. um you took us to the yucatan yeah <laughs> uh, we really appreciate it guys um again this book maya medicine is at sims library um the book is also available to be purchased um it is very interesting um, it is one of those books that answers questions and leaves you wanting to answer more questions so uh, we really appreciate Dr. Kuna being a part of today's um, iconic as the club win presented by the English Department's graduates. Um, next Monday, we will have Dr. Rupika Rassam. She will be uh, here, I think it's 5 p.m. Central. Check that website because that Eastern Time, Central Time. Oh. Yeah, it's been all over the place. But uh, she will be here with us next Monday, post-colonial digital communities. Um, very, very interesting with her. Um, I am Tyler, this is Kendall, our tech team, David on music and sound, and Alec over here running cameras and production. Uh, again, thank you for joining the Iconicast, and uh, Dr. Mariana Kuna, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And we'll see you guys next Monday, and uh, stay tuned, guys.